You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey all, Michael Graham here, one of the pastors of the Village Church, and with me is... Scott O'Donohoe. Hey Scott. Hello. What's going on? Uh, you see it. Okay. But they don't. They just hear it. They do not. It's wild here. You can't believe it. Um, <laughs> we are jumping into Indivisible Session 4 Recap. Uh, do you want to set up Indivisible real quick? Uh, yeah, it's a weekly series we've done for the last few weeks where we are fighting for unity in Christ within a politically diverse local church. So just striving to kind of reframe politics uh, within the Christian faith. And then uh, last week and uh, this this past week, um, kind of talking about some more practical, on the ground, rubber meets the road sorts of things. Uh, so uh, like you said, we're recapping week four. This coming week, week five is our last week. Um, and we're doing more of a uh, some extended prayer just because it's the it's literally the Sunday before Election Tuesday, so we're gonna pray for uh, an extended period of time for uh, for our country leaders' election uh, as well as for the church. Um, and in the middle, uh, we'll just have space for open discussion, so Q and A, all that stuff. I'm sure there's things that have been um, coming up in people's brains as we've been walking through stuff over the last few weeks, and so just giving some space to be able to talk about some of that stuff. So yeah. What it's been, it's where we're going. <clears throat> so you feel a little relieved, uh, content-wise. A, a kind of content, yeah. Well, there's always the uh, there's the relief because I don't have to prepare as much <laughs> for this Sunday. But then there's also the uh, huh, like what questions will be asked? The unpreparedness for whatever Sunday might bring is a whole other thing. But. Mm, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Uh, so you began as you have in, in all the other weeks, I believe, was mm-hmm. the question. Uh, yep. So you began this week with a question. The question was, will we love the church in November? Now, Correct. November is in three days at the re- at the time of this recording. That's right. Um, why did you ask that question the way that you did? Uh, well, because I don't want to assume that we will love the church the way that we ought to in November. Uh, I don't think any of us should assume that. Um Love is a, it's a choice that we get to make. It's a commitment that we make to other people. And yeah, I mean, we get to feel lovey-dovey and mushy and sentimental sometimes. But in the course of like things that stir up maybe not so lovey-dovey feelings in us, things like politics um, and everything else that's been going on this year, uh, if we simply lean on however we're feeling to produce something good, then, man, when it comes to the political realm, I think uh, we'll be left often either feeling <laughs> unable to love our neighbor or uh, or just unlovable, depending on kind of what, what groups of people or what scenarios we find ourselves in. And so, man, that's not what God calls us to. We are... Um, we're to bear fruit no matter what situation we're in. We shouldn't find ourselves ever in a position. We won't find ourselves ever in a position where we can't bear the fruit of the Spirit um, because the Spirit is always in us and with us. And so, yeah, that question is asked to almost provoke uh, in some sense like, hey, you get to you get to decide whether or not you're going to love uh, your fellow church members, um, you know, this election season. So it's not something you should assume will happen. It's something that you get to choose to do. <clears throat> yeah, and sometimes that takes effort. Right, a bit. exactly. Um, yeah, so Christians, uh, whether you know this or not, um, we actually respond to God's love to us first. That's right. And so we get to love others, sure, and we get to love Him and, and all those things, but that's because He first loved us. You read a passage in First John, and yep. I'll read that in just a second. It, it kind of has to do with, man, our, our position that we get to bring into the month of November. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in the next week, what we're six days away from election stuff. And for some that's, you know, that's fine. And we'll see what happens. And for others, a little (laughs) more heated and life and death and all those things. It's not fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So this is first John, uh, chapter four, verses seven through 11. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, uh, anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so we read that, uh, and then you kind of uh, allowed that text to help us define love. You want to talk about how you kind of yeah. peel that back? So, I mean, I wanted to define what love is, um, because if we're going to say, hey, this is a, a thing you get to choose to do this November, you should probably know what that thing is. <laughs> and so, yeah, again, not wanting love to just be this sentimental, mushy, kind of culturally, worldly defined sense of love. But hey, God gets to define what is loving. It's, it's so, a battlefield, I've heard. Love is a battlefield. <laughs> love is a battlefield. But that's not what you said. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it can feel like a, it can feel like a battlefield. There's, there's a sermon in there somewhere. Um, but uh, so four just observations from this particular text. One uh, is that uh, Christian love uh, is a love that loves first. It's an initiating love. It doesn't wait around for the other person to love us first. Christ didn't wait around uh, for us to love him before he loved us uh, in giving up his life. And so uh, we get to initiate love. Uh, secondly, love is from us, uh, just as if, just like it was from uh, from God. You know, Jesus laid down his life uh, as a propitiation for our sins. It cost him something uh, to love us. And so it's also going to cost us sometimes to love our neighbor. Uh, and, and that might be you know, something physical or it might be uh, relational or emotional or mental uh, in some way, stress and anxiety or uh, some, yeah, just tension in a relationship, that kind of stuff. Um, thirdly, uh, we we see that Christian love is for the good of other people. So it's for others. Um, Jesus, certainly he gave himself up for us, uh, but for us so that we might have uh, eternal life, that we might live through him. Uh, and so same thing goes for us, that we get to love first uh, from ourselves and for others, for other people's good. Um, we get to bless them in that way. And then lastly, and I think I, I left off the last verse that I, told, that I should have told you to read, uh, verse 12 from 1 John 4, which says that no one has ever seen God. Uh, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Uh, there we get to see that, man, the way that we love, Christian love, ought to point to God. Because even though no one that's alive right now has seen God, you can't go to Calvary and see Jesus still up on the cross. Uh, thank goodness. Um, man, the, the kind of love that God loves with can be seen in the way that we love one another when we choose to love this way. So Christian love is first. Uh, it is from us. It's for others. And it is to God. Sweet. So that's kind of posture stuff in, in the way that we engage. Sure. Exactly. Um, all of life, but certainly in the next, you know, five days. Mm -hmm. So you talked about this idea of collective conscience. Yeah. Um, help us revisit. Um, I, I believe that was around the idea of authority objectives. Yeah, that was in that? last week's, yeah, yeah. the uh, session three, week three recap. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So wanted to speak to that. I, I think I called that out. Uh, during the class uh, last time and also in the podcast that we were going to kind of zoom in on some of that stuff. So we, we talked about how, man, if they're, if, as the way that we think through politics, if we are uh, beginning with what's authoritative, which for us as scriptures, we're then looking at what's objectively true about the world that we live in and how God might want to move the needle on some things closer towards his vision for Humanity, and then we're also just self-aware about uh, our subjective experiences, thoughts, feelings, as well as everybody else's. When it comes to uh, the realm of politics, man, then what we should see, at least within the church, uh, is that there is some moral consensus, varied expressions within uh, moral consensus. And so uh, there will be things that, if we're looking at the scriptures and looking at what's objectively true, some some fences, some moral bounds that, that all Christians should be able to look at and say, yeah, I agree with those things. Those are guardrails. Those are bumpers. Those are offenses that we get to live within. Uh, but then when we look at uh, what is objectively true about certain communities, which might differ from community to community, and our subjective experiences from neighborhood to neighborhood or people group to people group, then we're going to see some varied expressions of those same exact uh, uh, moral uh, truths that we might abide by as Christians or, or share together as Christians. 
So uh, that said, um, we get to kind of zoom in. What we talked about this week was looking at what it's like to live within those fences. Um, because even in the best of circumstances uh, in the world that we live in, the fallen world that we live in, um, man, there's always going to be some discomfort. Uh, there's going to be disagreement within the church about what strategy is best or which uh, uh, what to value more, prioritize more when it comes to policies or issues or whatever. Uh, the way that we evaluate candidates that are on the ballot. You know, we do that moral math that we talked about last time. Um, so there's going to be some disagreement there. There's going to be some personal discomfort because no one person or thing on the ballot maybe uh, matches what we believe exactly or where our conscience or convictions uh, uh, land uh, fully. And so there's going to be some of that there. But then when sin enters the picture and uh, and we instead kind of work backwards through that moral math, then what happens is we end up feeling some despair, some guilt, some shame uh, personally, or uh, and or we see divisiveness then within the church. No, no longer charitable disagreements where we can like live together, lock arms together, walk together, minister together, but we end up like taking shots at each other and drawing lines in the sand over things. And so that's kind of what I wanted to zoom in uh, on this week and talk about. And around that, we did have, I mean, we did say that gosh we get to draw lines and we get to, absolutely like yeah. and so that that is not a um passive statement um it's just we we get to make the right lines 100 percent. so yeah um we chatted a bit about that in the class but yeah. um so you ask the question i thought this was helpful um you ask if people in the room because that's all that you could hear from in the moment <laughs> yeah uh, if they felt uh comfortable politically within the village yeah um did they? I mean, I think most people spoke of like experiences outside, yeah. uh, you know, other churches or whatever. Uh, I, I think, honestly, Sunday is an expression that they at least felt comfortable in the room talking about some things together. Um, but, I mean, by and large, folks have experienced uh, from other communities they've been a part of some frustrations and seeing some things that aren't healthy and feeling a little bit on the margins or... Uh, whatnot based on what's kind of being shared from the pulpit um, and what have you. And so, yeah, uh, as it relates to the village in particular, like I know just from conversations with people that there are people here that feel that way, um, that they believe themselves to be like a kind of a political minority. And so they feel a little bit on the outs in those things um, or they get frustrated, you know, maybe by other people that hold different beliefs and gosh, how can they think that or believe that or like, I mean, which again, that's, that's sort of to be expected within the church. Um, really the question for us is how, as Christians, then how, what do we do with that? How do we step into that or whatever? So that's, th- those were some of the things that were shared. I won't go into specifics sure. for obvious yeah. reasons, but, um, um yeah. do you feel comfortable politically? Um, uh, I mean, yes and no. Like I, I think, um, I think the beautiful thing is in our church, I really do believe that by and large, the people who call the village home know that Jesus is king and he is the one that makes us a family. The gospel is the thing that brings us in and it's the thing that keeps us. Um, so yeah, we value the scriptures. We preach the scriptures. I feel like like the Bible is seen as the authority and I think we strive to be clear on what our offenses are. And I think the folks that are here uh, also want that. Not just like they're not just okay with that, but they want that. Um yeah, so I think there is a there is a large part of me that does feel I think comfortable being where I am, you know, on things. And at the same time, like for sure, I my expressions of uh, views theologically uh, on current current day politics and those things. Yeah, like I've taken shots <laughs> before for those things, or I've, I've felt a little bit like I myself am on uh, the margins a bit in some things. But um, but I think the beauty of seeing the gospel uh, at work and the spirit at work and all that stuff is that I've gotten to have lots of conversations about those things and see uh, the spirit mature me and grow me up in those things because, man, I can say some dumb stuff. You know what I mean? Like I I get to grow and mature and be sanctified in those things. And also seeing, I think, other people grow and mature uh, and we get to grow up together in those things. So am I I 100% comfortable? Eh, No. I don't, also don't expect to be 100% comfortable either. You know, I don't think I'm supposed to feel 100% comfortable here, um, you know, politically. But that, that's also not what I'm aiming to be comforted by or comforted in. I'm here to be comforted in the gospel with the church. So, yeah. 
Uh, sweet. Um, does does any of that tell us anything about the village church? I mean, I don't know if you want to say anything about that. I mean, uh, in what way? Like, I mean, just uh, whether or not you feel at home, or whether or not others feel well. You know, I, I mean, I guess I would say this: like, there would be some people who wouldn't feel at home here, like politically, the the way that we talk about things. Like for us, politics, even though we're doing a class. <laughs> And we're we're doing this like weekly recap uh, stuff, and we're not shy about talking about these things. Like for us, I think politics is sub- subservient to the kingdom, to the word, to the gospel, to ministry. It is one realm, one dimension of our lives that we get to allow Jesus to disciple us in. Um, and and I think for some, like that realm is bigger and more important. Um, and there are also folks that that do, that would land, you know, as pretty pretty much on one side. Like that is that is the way that the church ought to walk. That's that's the way, and that goes for both sides. Um, so I, and and people can do the you know the again the moral math pointing to last week's episode. If you've not listened to that, listen to that. Um, but to do the moral math and land there, and there's no harm, no foul. Um, I think our desire as a church is to is to be a church that is uh, open to anybody and everybody, right? Through the gates of the gospel, um, within the bounds of scripture, all those things. And at the same time, we know that we're not going to be a community for everyone. And one of the litmus tests that people use these days is how do we speak to cultural or political things? Um, And so uh, by and large, again, I I think that the village... um, and I, I don't mean just us as pastors. I mean the village as a whole. I think there is a yearning and a desire to submit to the scriptures, understand and see the world through biblical lenses, and also how does the gospel uh, come to bear on some of those things. Like I think our church desires that. Um, so I, I think there is a healthy, healthier than maybe lots of other churches um, environment and culture to be able to even have a class like this, conversations like this. Uh, and I think... To, to not be afraid of, you know, getting, you know, having pot shots taken or, you know, having a, a meeting called and we get voted out. Like, that's not a thing we do here anyway. But you know what I mean? Like, that's a, like, there's not that's that level of, <laughs> there's, there's not that level of fear here. Because I think, like, for us, this is something that we all get to grow in, all get to walk together in. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but. so I think... Um, that answer your question or address your question. Sure. Yeah. So I, it's it's funny. Like, while we, maybe a clarifier, while we say, "Gosh, it's man, a, a politically diverse, you know, context, church people, whatever." Um, I, I think I've said publicly that that having, uh, but a bumper on the left and a bumper on the right helps me as a mm-hmm. preacher. Yep. It helps us as a communicator understanding where people sit and why they sit there. Like, that helps me not to just turn my, you know, and, and just placate to a crowd that's affirming of, it. we'll get to that maybe in a few, but. Sure. But um, the idea of, uh, but, but, but that doesn't mean that we tolerate sin either. Mm-hmm. And Correct. so it's, it, it's really easy to hear you say those things and then people, you know, well, like, well, what about all that you didn't say? Right. We're, we're for the things that the Bible are for and we're against the things that the Bible are against. And yet. Because of the moral math, and yet because of no ideal candidate that is Jesus. There's no Caesar who is perfectly righteous, good counselor, righteous king. That doesn't exist. You're going to compromise. Right. That's why we can say that with integrity. Sure. Because you're not coming at my guy or your girl. or It's not like that or, mm-hmm. or party or whatever. It's, it's not partisan. Which, for me, the most liberating thing, and we've had heated conversations with people who, you know, uh, p- politically uh, maligned and, and all kinds of things. Sure. And what we say in those conversations are, man, just straight up, like, our primary lens is not political. Correct. And yeah. those who, who view the world, the church, whatever, with, with, a, ver- with a very primary like you think uh, 3D glasses, one red, one green. Yeah. If one of those even are political, we just don't sit there. Yeah. But it is a pr- predominant fruit in the culture of the vine that we're connected to. And yeah. So sure, we get to engage. It's it's one of, 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 of many, many others 
that certainly affects us in, in great ways because yeah. we have the right to vote, all those things. But it, it is not a primary lens by which we build out theology or missiology or, or lots of other things. It's, For sure. Uh, I would asterisk that or caveat that with like, with we don't view the world through worldly politics, right? Because for real, like the gospel could be boiled down to, I boiled it down this way before, is that Jesus is both Christ and King. Sure. <laughs> he is Messiah, the one who saves us from sin, redeems his people, brings them back, purchases, uh, you know, his bride. And he's also King. He is Lord. He is the one on whom the, the government rests on his shoulders, right? Um, ruling, reigning over everything. God has given him authority to judge. And so um, in some sense, like, to have a uh, to to think about politics too much, or have that be the lens through which you see everything. Um, if that stops at Republican and Democrat, or you know the Constitution or whatever, your politics are too small. Yeah. <laughs> um, because if we want to look at the world uh, politically from a, a not just a secular pers- but a, a theological perspective. Well, then you start with Jesus being king, right? To which I would say, Amen. Let's think. Let's think politically, and let's start there. Do you know what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, and those are those are contexts that when you when you give your allegiance to the one true King, they're contexts because you can't look outside of those lenses. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and co- contact every, lenses. Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. else is within. I mean, there's no peripheral. Oh, that's out, yeah. Everything is there. Yeah, yeah, and that's totally true. Okay, so to the good stuff now. We're uh, halfway there. Um, you read a couple quotes. Um, do you want to read those and, and tell us? <laughs> You're re- willing to read the Bible, but you don't want to read the quotes. I see how it goes. No, I can. I, can. No, I, I want to make sure I got them right. I was no, thinking. no, it's fine. I'll read um, No, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll no, give it a shot. No, no okay. I, I won't read the quotes. Uh, this <laughs> was a day, day of reckoning. Uh, it was August 23rd, and you and I can kick around like because we chatted about these things All that, in yeah, the office. Yeah, like yeah. Walked in like, hold on, wait. What did, is going did on? Did you check this? You know, that's how things work when you don't have real jobs and you're just a pastor. Right? That's what <laughs> yeah. So uh, one was from Pastor Dr. John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, any real true believer is going to be on your side in this election. And so President Trump had called him, I think, after a Senate gathering. MacArthur was fighting. It was MacArthur against the state of California yeah. uh, for gathering rights and all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, which is neither here nor there. Uh, their context is different. And so however you read that, just know that their context is a little different than ours. But sure. So MacArthur is kind of like saying, now nah, we're going to gather. And so Trump called him and he said, uh, in response to Trump, any real true believer is going to be on your side in this election. Yeah. I think that was on a... You know, uh, an interview yeah. where he was recalling that phone call. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Any real true believer is going to be on your side in this election. That's saying something. Sure. Right? Uh, then um, the, the same day, uh, Eric Mason, he's, I seem to be a sermon he's preaching. It's yeah, on preaching through a sermon. Yeah, sermon series. In his block, whatever. Yeah, in Philadelphia, yeah. Um, and and uh, so Eric Mason, pastor, Dr. Eric Mason as well. Yep. Um, he says, if you're resisting restitution of black people, you may want to question your justification monitor. Is that what the yeah. Word? yeah, 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 I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to be really clear, uh, man, uh, we've all, you and I have said stupid stuff before. Oh, yeah. No oh, doubt. Gosh. And benefited greatly from both of these men. Mm-hmm. And so uh, discussing these quotes, not to like just take unfair shots or tear these guys down or discredit them in any way, shape or form, but just as examples from trusted, you know, like trusted pastors, long established pastors in the ministry, um, you know, who folks in our circles that we're speaking to, if you're part of the village, like you may have very well heard of, like, like you've heard of them and you, you might respect them, maybe have read their books, have their commentaries, whatever on yourselves. And if you're listening right so, now and you're saying, I don't trust it. Okay. That's fine. We that's get fine. It. We yeah. Get it. That's okay. Uh, so what were some of the because you basically said how yeah. how do you respond to that? So I mean yeah it's this is like real life right now examples of kind of having some of those like divisive statements being shared. And so I just literally read the quotes and then said so what do you think about that <laughs> to the people that were there and it like I think people were largely frustrated you know by those things on both sides um, you know and I think folks acknowledging like where. Like where those come, like where they both are coming from, you know, like 
we could do, we could say, yeah, they, they both did their moral math, right? Like where I think, you know, Pastor MacArthur is uh, very concerned about abortion and uh, sexuality and gender and like those sorts of things. And so like he, he does the moral math and comes out on one way, like personally, that's totally fine. Um, you know, Pastor Eric Mason, you know, who is in a largely urban context, he's a, uh, a black pastor. Um, and so like his context is people, his lenses for what's informing what matters, like that's different too. And so like he can do the moral math and land somewhere different. Um, I think folks in the way they responded, like understood that. And yet the frustrating thing then is for them to take like what they seem to be convinced by and then apply that <laughs> universally to every other Christian and say, you know, like, like Pastor MacArthur, it was a vote for a person or for Eric Mason, it was on a particular policy issue, like whatever restitution or uh, reparations might look like uh, and all those things. If you don't agree with that, then like drawing it down to a salvation issue that you need to question your salvation uh, if, if you are uncomfortable with this policy or if you don't vote uh, this particular way. So uh, that was some of the response to, to those quotes was largely just like, man, frustration, uh, boiling down the, the whole, like all of the issues, the complexity of all that goes into an election and what's at stake into like one specific thing and then just kind of blanketing it. Like all that stuff was, was I think, frustrating for folks. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, one, one young woman said, <laughs> basically, you're saying that our faith rests in Trump. Or you're saying uh, that that my faith rests in the way that we deal with a minority, or yeah. we have to dis- uh, somebody else. We have to uh, basically distill down all, all of our Christian whatever into one thing, one vote, right. one policy. And these are super complex things. Um, and and then I mean, people just talked about in general the idea to like understand where they're coming from, which I thought was helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least seeing where they could get there. Well, okay. So, um, you, uh, what would you say to those things? Because yeah. I mean, say, yeah. Yeah. Voicing really the same, the same concerns, like to where, yeah. I mean, the scriptures speak to, I think, like for both of them, the things that they're concerned about, the things that they were talking about. I think the scriptures speak to, um, man, when, when there is injury done to another person, then, man, I think Christians ought to seek to, to not just ask for forgiveness and acknowledge hurt, but then also like, hey, I need to make that right, you know? And so I totally understand, you know, the the sentiment, the thought and ideology behind what, you know, Pastor Eric Mason was talking about. And certainly when it comes to, I think the concerns of Pastor John MacArthur that he shared, you know, in the greater context of that interview, again, around, you know, uh, the, the unborn and uh, sexuality and gender, all those things like, Man, the, the Bible speaks to those things as well. And so we get to say, yeah, like the scripture does speak to all of these things. And what happens is you kind of, I'm holding my, my both of my hands out in the opposite directions because, because it feels like I have to pick one, right? I, ha- I either have to take like this clump of Bible verses or this clump of Bible verses or this uh, Christian ethic or this Christian ethic. And I can't pick both. And it feels like what they've done is basically just affirm that division and say, nope, like cutting it down the middle, like you got to pick one or the other. Um, and so I think that's, that is where the Bible, it speaks to that as well. And I, I think it would condemn uh, adding anything to justification, anything to salvation um, other than Jesus. And that seems to be what these statements are uh, are making. And to be clear, like you and I both listened to the, the sermon that Pastor Eric Mason gave. I, I listened to the full interview that Pastor John MacArthur gave. And and I judge them based on like their whole bodies of work, right? They've they have all affirmed justification by faith alone, grace alone, all that stuff. Um, and so, but but these statements in a political season, like like those things, don't just go out in the air and have no impact on people, right? Like people hear that stuff, their local churches hear that. I heard it, and I'm not in Philadelphia or in California, you know, and that resonates with people, or it. It doesn't, and it cuts and hurts and divides, and so. Man, I know we're getting long here, but uh, I imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> you would have thought it's okay if you're yep. listening. You probably care or whatever. So, specifically that that um, man, at least national context, both those people 
uh, Mason's in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. MacArthur's in California, and yet we're in the Midwest, and we heard both of them in the same day. Right. Um, and so th- that that is the, the difficulty in hearing things like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, you've mentioned saying dumb stuff a couple times. I, I've said dumb stuff. Uh, assuming that we're contextualized into the, you know, 150 people in the room that we speak, but that's not true. And so yeah. that's like... Uh, an interesting thing and, and just to give some specific I think this might be helpful and I'm thinking out loud so this could be wrong just, yeah That's so dangerous. you look at MacArthur and, and really he's fighting for a sphere of people who are trying uh, who, who have like this might not be fair but who have they, their context probably more affluent white middle class upper middle class fearful of like uh, abortion, sexuality stuff that sounds like this this scary monster that's invading sure. and, er- and eroding uh, America, and all that's quite true. C- could be true. It's fear yeah. of loss. You look at Eric Mason coming from a place of of fear of not loss, but fear that it will continue to look like it has his his, his yeah. mind saying, "Gosh, our certainly his, his hope is in Christ, but the only hope for these people that I get to pastor every single day of my life is that they would be handed something." Because they got here by unfair means, they yeah. can get out of this by by some unfair means he was, to help lift yeah. them out of. He was literally pre- he was preaching those outside in the neighborhood, pointing to the dilapidated buildings around him. You know, in his neighborhood. Yeah. So yeah, it's not, but I mean, like you you for real have to say okay before you just like lock and load. Yeah. You have to say what are they fearful of? What are, what they, are the pressing issues for them? Yeah. Right. And so that's where. Man, benefit of doubt goes a long way. Absolutely, we're not yeah. writing them off because of whatever. We're not assuming that their theology is whatever. But you do get to say, well, what did you mean by you know? Like, well, sure, and that's where man to hear those statements. I hope that if you're a believer listening to that, that 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 uh, that makes your hair stand, stand on end a little bit, you know, and you realize that's hey, that doesn't sound like the gospel, and you'd be right because that's not yeah. the, that's not the gospel, absolutely, you know. But we also don't get to play. Like whatever was going on in there, we don't have to follow that same line of thinking in the way that we address them. So if there's a an unfair anti-gospel game going on, even in just a a, a wild thought that flew yeah. out of their mouth, you know, we don't have to respond in kind to that. We sure. we get to choose to love differently, which is the whole point. Yeah, uh, and we're all about uh, we we do not um, want to point people to or follow false teachers. It's just. We're not yeah. afraid to do that, but both of those statements should have felt off. Just like sure. stuff that I say, sometimes it's, yeah. that that was not good, Michael. Yeah. yeah, true. Okay. So you had some more kind of beautiful mind drawing stuff. You talked about it a little bit, but uh, talk about busting down fences of moral consensus. Do you want sure. to get on that? Yeah, I mean, just to, if, if you're a visual person, I guess you can uh, listen and then imagine what this might look like <laughs> in your head or doodle along. Uh, on the board I had fences, like a little, like, rectangular fence built, you know, like as a representation of the the moral consensus that we get to hold as Christians. And like inside those fences, like I said, we there get to be varied expressions of that. And there's lots of freedom uh, in there. And what happens is when we make statements, uh, and to be clear, like these two uh, doctors, pastors are not the only ones who have said things like that. I'm sure all of us uh, me and you who are listening and other people you know have said things like this or at least thought things like that before. What happens is we end up like, we kind of bust out, you know, the walls of the fence or the, the posts or whatever and we end up like kind of looping in stuff that's outside of the scriptures, like what what is extra biblical. So like, you know, policies and voting and all that stuff. Like we lump in these these people or these things that might not be like might not be within the bounds of what the scriptures have declared to be the bounds of scripture. We bring those in and then we also then like fence off within the bounds of those fences. We add an, another little fence inside to where we have this bubble, like this separate segmented little uh, corner of, of the yard of the pasture where oh, the real Christians live within these fences. And then on the other side of this fence, oh, that's where the others, you know, those poor folks those suckers, they live over there or whatever. It's, you know, not too dissimilar from if you've watched a show or maybe lived this reality where you shared a room with somebody at some point, you know, and they like get in a, a feud and they fight about whatever, like 
Oh, you're on my side, you're on my, and then they like draw a line or like put tape like right down the middle of the room and like don't cross over. It's like that kind of a thing where over here, this is my people, like I'm on this side and then like you're over there and that's your stuff. And you know, even to the point of saying you're really not, you're really not of us anymore. So that kind of a thing. Yeah. That's and the good. only thing that really matters is who has access to the door. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> um, so, um, so you talked about, uh, some assumptions, um, four assumptions that that we bring into the way that we think about some of those things. Yeah, I mean, those. this is just like, I mean, we can't assume that we're going to love each other uh, in November because there are these other assumptions that take root in us, which is why you have, you know, what seem, who seem like otherwise biblically grounded, you know, like Jesus loving, they, they at least know the gospel, right? Um, like th- these folks saying stuff that seem to be so counter to that um there's stuff underneath the surface that that would just naturally lead us to say things like that or think that way um one assumption is just like man if, if you're a christian then you're going to agree <laughs> with me on everything and and so literally like if you are a christian you will agree with me on stuff so like all christians believe this if you don't believe this then gosh like politically policy wise who i'm voting for then you just simply like how can you be a christian and be for that or not be for this guy or this girl or whatever. And so here's like where we confuse our, again, our personal conviction with the universal authority of the scriptures. So that's one assumption that we can make. Uh, the second is very similar. It's if you're a faithful Christian, then you'll support uh, what I support. You'll support who I support. Um, in other words, like, man, there's no way that you can actually be following after Jesus really reading your Bible, really wanting to honor God and all those things and still land where you are, right? And so you might be a Christian, but you're certainly not a quote unquote good Christian if you are landing here. And so we we end up confusing, you know, someone's political affiliation with uh, who really has their spiritual allegiance, which just isn't true at all. Um, A third assumption is that, uh, man, like that that we feel like we have to... uh, resort to using certain tools of discipleship that otherwise like we we wouldn't want to use that maybe a good example of this is uh we uh, are quick to enact church discipline or all the way to like excommunicating church members right uh for their for their political stances um and maybe in some cases that would be a thing uh, i don't know like but for that to be the initial like uh the, the initial response to something that's not good uh but underneath that like in a, a bigger way is just looking at accusation and guilt and shame uh laying rhetorical traps you know mocking those sorts of things when we like we assume that those things are helpful in some way because we have to condemn you know the other side because they really are the enemy like they are the enemy that that's what that tells me um is that the assumption there is that the folks on the other side are the real enemies and not not actually Satan or sin or anything. And then the the fourth um, assumption is that, man, well, all those things considered, uh, reconciliation, repentance, that stuff, it looks like you agreeing with me and you agreeing with with my political beliefs. Um, So, man, if you were falling after Jesus, like, look, if you just, like, you just need to get right with God, (laughs) read your Bible, uh, ask him for grace and forgiveness, and, man, if if you turn from your sin, oh, then you'll agree with me. Like those those four things are just big assumptions that we probably don't even know we have, which is why they're assumptions. They operate underneath the surface that could allow us and even, you know, our favorite celebrity, pastor, author, blogger, podcaster, whatever, to say things that like leave you scratching your head sometimes, you know? Yeah, those are like some triggers as well. If you hear yourself or someone saying these things, yeah. Then I mean, in, in like, sadly, I, I even hear like, well, you know, I, I land here, like I've prayed about it, and it, oh, oh okay. Uh, the assumption is that that I've not, or okay, oh, right. so you prayed about it, and and the Spirit has brought clarity to you, and yet, I mean, certainly someone else has prayed about it, and, right? And they have different conclusions, like, well, who, well, how then do you move on, right? Right? And so that man, just you're looking for some of those things to say. Gosh, what part of what what fleshly thing am I bringing into the way that I'm uh, assuming of right. others or, or whatever? Absolutely. Um, so so all those things are kind of in contrast to the love that you talked about on the front end sure. of things. Yeah. 
So how do we love uh, against or in the midst of those unhealthy assumptions? Yeah. Um, well, I think we get to combat those assumptions with biblical assumptions. And uh, we will return once again to Romans 14 um, in this to just take a look at what Paul says. Because in, in that chapter, he assumes some stuff uh, about those who are disagreeing with one another. That, man, if we assumed these same things, I think would be uh, incredibly helpful and lay the groundwork for it to be much easier for us to love each other uh, and even just for us to to be able to have civil conversations, biblical, gospel-centered, Christ-honoring conversations, you know, about politics uh, and all of that. And so um, I will, since we're, hey, we're going long anyway, rambling yeah, around here and there. It's been hours at this point. We've been uh, yeah, I'm just going to read uh, through Romans 14, bit by bit. There's three of these assumptions that Paul makes, um, and I want to I want you to hear them, see them uh, in the text. And so uh, Romans 14, we're just going to look at the first four verses. Um, he starts with saying this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so the first assumption that Paul makes about those who have differing opinions, he's encouraging these people to make about those who differ with them, is uh, that those folks have been welcomed by God into God's kingdom. Um, I love uh, that. <laughs> so just to click, like that they're Christians. This is the assumption. Like, man, if you have a brother or sister that you disagree with politically, we just just assume that they're Christians, right? <laughs> don't, don't automatically call their, their faith, their salvation uh, into question. Uh, I love that he says, um, like at the very, very beginning, hey, uh, welcome somebody who's weak in faith. Welcome the person that believes differently than you, whose conscience is a little bit different, uh, but not to quarrel over opinions. And so he literally knows that there are those people who love to invite people over to their house for dinner, love to grab a drink, uh, love to meet new people on Sundays, and it might seem like they're being hospitable, but it, hospitable, but in reality, they just want to pick their brain about what they think about some pet topic or pet issue. In this case, we're talking about politics. And so the idea is like, man, they just want to argue over this stuff and, and convince or convert this person not to, to anything other than their own political beliefs. And so um, what we get to do, man, is, is we get to have the assumption that these people are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we get to welcome them in. We get to rejoice that they're here uh, with us. And, you know, I even talked about like the, the real example for us two Sundays ago when we had our uh, kind of celebration Sunday and we welcomed in new members, and some of those new members, they don't agree 100% with our doctrinal statement um, on some, like, not gospel issues, but some not insignificant issues either. Um, man, but but they've read that. They know where we land. We have made the fences clear for our statement of faith, and they have agreed not to be divisive over those things. They can walk with us, uh, minister arm-in-arm arm with us through those things, and so, Man, like we, we don't question each other so that we welcome them in, not just as believers, but as members. Um, but then we did baptize people last week who I know have different uh, political and theological landings as well. Um, and the, the gates into the fence, uh, the gate is Jesus. And so there might be a whole host of things that I would be concerned about that I have questions about. Um, but when it comes to simply having different political leanings or theological beliefs one way or another, man, if if we start with Jesus, like that is the gospel. The, the, he's the gate. He's the one that welcomes us in. He's also the one that keeps us. And so we get to start there. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts or any? No. And then, on that? but that's not to say that we don't, man, in, in views and uh, theological misses or other cultural, yeah. not to say that we don't over time engage those things as well. 100%. Just, yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Then, that's then I good. have nothing else to say. <laughs> No, but that's a, that's that is important to say yeah. even now and all that stuff. Yeah, if, so. if somebody turned you off just now, then they right? Don't know. Yeah. They don't know oh, they, yeah, they don't care about doctrine. <laughs> they don't care about uh, discipleship <laughs> or whatever. No, that's that's not the case. But I mean, the the alternative to that is that we add things to Jesus. That we add a lock to the gate that is not faith in Christ alone. And we don't like we do that. We cease being a church. 
yeah. because we have added something to the God. We have, we have refused to preach the gospel of Jesus. So that's why that's important. Uh, the second assumption that Paul wants us to make is that, uh, man, that, that the other person they're seeking uh, to honor God in what they do. And uh, we'll read Romans uh, 14, 5 through 12. He writes, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So the, the second assumption, again, is that, uh, that the person who disagrees with you, that they are seeking to honor God and what they do. Um, in other words, this should lead us to not assume that uh, someone's landing somewhere else because they are ignoring the Bible because they don't care about what God says about something. They don't want to honor God. Um, man, they, they certainly don't know everything fully and perfectly, just like you don't, right? And so, like, man, we get to have some grace uh, in that as well. But, uh, man, we get to give the benefit of the doubt that the Holy Spirit is in them, working in them. Um, and kind of the way this worked out practically for me, even just in this the last few months with lots of things swirling around in the culture that have stirred some conversation is that when I'm going into a conversation with someone who I know sees things differently than me, to be able to say, look, like this is probably not a theological issue. Like this isn't a gospel issue. This isn't a matter of them not caring about the Bible, them being wayward in some doctrine or whatever. So when I'm going to sit down to have coffee with this person or get lunch with this person or whatever, um, man, I don't have to come into it with like the heightened sense of, uh-oh, like if I, depending on the resolution of this, like, man, like I don't know if I can call this person a brother or sister, you know? Like that's not it at all. Like we're probably talking about the outworkings of secondary, tertiary things out in the world. And so that has been helpful for me um, just in thinking about this stuff is that like, man, this brother, this sister, they're probably trying to honor the Lord. Um, they're trying to do what's right and trying to do what's best. And so like I, I get to come into that conversation seeking to understand um, for me to, to, lo- to learn and grow as well, but f- to figure out how I can like help them uh, in all of that too. And so, man, this should lead us to like want to, to not just welcome somebody into the family, but also, man, we, we want to, if they're seeking to honor the Lord, even though that might look different than us, we, we should want to stand next to them and worship, right? Give thanks that they're part of our church and also worship God alongside of them. So, yeah. Any thoughts well, on that at all? Uh, just wild ideas you're throwing out there. <laughs> uh, did you get to the last? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Yeah. Um, so, I'll finish up. This is the third assumption, and, and that is that... Um, that the other person's discipleship is also your discipleship. Uh, and there might be a, a better way to say that, um, but it's the way I try to sum it up. I'll read it and then we'll chat about it. So this is Romans 14, 13 through, uh, what is it, 23. Uh, Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Don't, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." 
So again, the third assumption is that their discipleship in some way, shape, or form is also your discipleship. Um, and what I mean by that is, man, like we get to observe in other people ways that they get to grow. I mean, we are far more prone to seeing logs in other people's eyes while we think we might have a speck in ours when, you know, Jesus says, hey, like, you might want to think about that the other way around. Um, man, but we do get to, to see those things in other people, and we do get to be part of other people's discipleship. And so we get to step in and say, hey, what do you, like, what do you think about that? What do you think the scriptures say about this? Where does this come from? We get to refine other people's thoughts and beliefs on that. And that whole process is also part of our own discipleship both in the impact that we have on that person in the way that we go about doing it and in revealing what it is that we're trusting, uh, what it is that is shaping our lives, where our hope does come from in the way that we do that, right? And so, you know, if, if I uh, come against someone, if they believe something different than me politically or culturally or whatever, and I, I come against them and my goal is to convert them to whatever it is that I believe and to tell them that they're wrong and to all that stuff, then clearly there are things that I'm holding to as litmus tests of the Christian faith or their fidelity to scripture or whatever. My goal is to simply get them to agree with me. That, that, says, that doesn't say as much about them as it does about me, you know? Um, so there is some revelatory uh, things that occur when we choose to engage people uh, or really not engage people sometimes over cultural, political things. And so, uh, man, we get to like ask these like do we automatically assume that someone else is wrong and that we're right um, and that we don't have anything to learn from them? Do we assume uh, that repentance does look like agreeing with us? Uh, do we think that they need something other than what God has given uh, in Jesus in His Word uh, or in the Spirit? And and do we approach with accusation? Do we approach with uh, mocking? You know, memes uh, that just like you know tear down and make fun of and all that stuff. Uh, rhetorical traps, ultimatums, shame, guilt, that kind of stuff. Um, if we do those things, then that approach, uh, it is going to destroy God's work, uh, the work of God in his church. Um, it will build though political Pharisees and it will also reveal that we are one of those political Pharisees. Um, man, so, so we want to build unity around Christ, um, with the gospel. We don't want to build unity around, uh, extra biblical things, um, and minister to people with the law. Like that's not what God has called us to do. So, so a couple things from that. One, so you're saying memes aren't the best way to communicate <laughs> rich truths or to engage in, in dialogue. Okay, Dang are, memes don't make disciples. That's true. Say that. They are fun, but like <laughs> otherwise. Um, and, and then, yeah, so discipleship, I, I think, man, I, uh, working through this coming week's sermon, but in some way, like bearing burden is a two-way street is one of the kind of the, the chunks that come out of the text in, in First Thessalonians and like just that idea Man, that we get to always be being conformed. Mm -hmm. We are always being conformed to the image of Christ, and that means that we can miss on things that you might believe boldly today. Absolutely. That man in time, and so we always, even in boldness, we get to walk with humility, and and so it's not yeah having a conversation just to tear down, but legit man, are they seeing something? Somebody called me this past week, and it was about some cultural stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they literally said, I just need some help. Like, am I missing something with regard to whatever? Like, yeah. can you help me? Is there something? I, it seems pretty simple. Am I missing something? Yeah. Which is like, I mean, you can say that in a false humility. But like when we approach things like that, that is like a good, that's a good place to start. Like, Absolutely. Help yeah. me understand how you sit where you sit. You know, and, and I know we keep coming back to that. but No, I, I, it does shape the way that we... Like, we don't want people to fall in line. We want people to follow Jesus, right? And so, like, that process of, I mean, this really is discipleship. This process of discipleship, like, if you view it this way, it's going to seem weak, and it's going to seem impractical and slow and inefficient. But, like, if when you see something in someone else that you think needs addressed or there's just a divide that you don't understand, man, like, grab lunch with them, have a face-to-face -face conversation or on the phone if you're not comfortable with that, you know, in, uh, in the time of COVID or whatever. Um, have a personal conversation. Ask them, hey, could you help me understand where you're at? Uh, you can even clarify, and you should clarify, fences. This is where, you know, coming back to this, it's really important, especially for uh, pastors, elders, church leaders, but, but for just anybody that's a follower of Christ to say like, 
hey, you do agree that like, man, the scriptures get to have the final authority here, right? Or you do agree that that this is the doctrinal statement of the church, this this particular piece or this whatever. Like we get to declare this is where we are. Do you live within these fences? If you don't, like that's not the end of the world either. But but we certainly get to like continue talking about those things and inviting people into learning and growing together. And that is different than just demanding that people fall in line with you and just telling them what it is and all that stuff. Like people can believe something because I tell them. People can believe something because I made them read an article or read this book or whatever, and they can agree with me on that. Or they can trust Jesus and read his word and see that, oh, this is what God seems to say. This is what the scriptures teach. I want to follow, like, I want to follow what he said and be convinced by the the power of the spirit through the word, uh, man, that like, no, this is what God would, would have me think. This is how he'd have me live. Those are two very different things. Sometimes it's a lot easier just to try to convince and argue someone to agree with you. It's a it's a lot more inefficient to like disciple someone and help them to see and follow Jesus. You know. Well, I think of Paul. Like we get hung up on the be imitators of me. Right. And we just stop there. Yeah. But he says, as we follow Jesus. Right. Correct. Which is kind of the deal. And, yeah. and the way that we frame that out usually is. Man, follow me as long as I'm following Jesus. Yeah. And like there's room in, you know, th- there is one door, there is one path. It is Jesus. <laughs> but it's so easy that we can build those other fences and however you slice it, however you communicate, what else are you tying to that yeah. thing? So, 100%. Uh, so last thing, how can we grow in this kind of love? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's important, uh, again, just to, to highlight in here, man, we have an obligation to not grieve our brothers and sisters. That's really clear. In this chapter, I'm going to read just a few more verses in chapter 15, uh, where Paul continues, and he'll say that again. Um, but we have a we have an obligation not to grieve our brothers and sisters in the way we talk about politics. He, I mean, Paul says, "I don't think anything's unclean," right? You know, and Jesus, I, I believe that's true. And yet, if somebody thinks it's unclean, then man, then it is. And if someone doesn't. Uh, is is grieved by what I say or what I do. If they stumble, then what I'm doing is no longer loving. And so you might be fully convinced about your politics being good and right, or you might think that you're, uh, you're in the clear on something and you're not even trying to offend someone or whatever. But like, my goodness, you, you have an obligation not to grieve them, not to put a stumbling block before them. And so, man, that is not, we're not saying don't talk about what's true. Like, but man, open up the scriptures and have conversations and reason from from those things. You know, the way that we engage absolutely, absolutely matters in this. And so I, I do want to read uh, Romans 15, 1 through 7. Now, this will be the last thing that I uh, read from, this, from the Bible today. So um, he goes on to say that we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so, man, I, I ended the class in some ways talking about this. What's, where does this leave us? How are we, how do we love, you know, all of that? And it goes back to something you said towards the very beginning, Michael, is that we have first been loved. And so I just want to read from all that we've read, uh, something that I shared with at the end of the class or whatever. Um, do you believe that, that Christ has welcomed you not to quarrel with you, um, but to glorify God through you as you are and as he will one day perfect you? Uh, Do you believe that he has seen your weaknesses and wants to bear with your failings, that Jesus is able to make you stand? Do you believe that Jesus is willing to let every insult, every misunderstanding, every cheap shot, every accusation that you receive or the ones that you take to to let those things fall on him just like those things have fallen on you? Uh, That you will one day be judged not only by man but, but by God himself and Christ will present you acceptable. Do you believe that God has given you everything that you need for our uh, for your instruction and encouragement already 
in his word? Do you believe that God supplies to you what he asks of you in exercising endurance and encouragement and harmony with your brothers and sisters by the Spirit? And do you believe that you're not only able to love in every situation, but lovable by God in Christ who has made you clean? Man, uh, will we love one another first from ourselves for the, the good of others to God's glory? Man, like we will if we rest in that sort of love. Like if you don't know that you are welcome that way, that you're loved that way, that you're accepted that way, um, that you're born with that way, then like, man, sure, you're not going to love your brothers and sisters that way. But it, but it has to start there. Um, and this is an opportunity for us, like in the midst of all the strife and all the tension and all the whatever, disagreement, discomfort, uh, man, we, this is rich soil for discipleship. And so to bring this Jesus into those conversations is transformative uh, to, to preach the gospel to ourselves, but also to the person across the table, across the aisle from us. Man, like what a rich and beautiful thing that builds unity in Christ. Sweet. Well, we have managed to uh, put a, a two-part podcast on in one <laughs> one podcast today. Boom. So hopefully you've listened at two times speed and uh, got through it half the time. So anything else? No. Sweet. For the sake of our listeners, no. Uh, we love you all. We will catch you. We'll have to figure out what a recap looks like from For next questions week. and stuff. So, Might be tough, but we'll figure uh, it out. Probably yeah. have a recap of some, some sort next week. So I yeah. uh, hope you've enjoyed this. See you next time. See ya.